Amen. God's Word has so much to say about love. We are finishing a series this morning entitled My New Life. And uh, the series has been based around the measures of our growing in Christ. You know, we have a mission statement that uh, is on our website that was recently developed, and it's simply this. We believe that Eastwood Baptist Church exists. Why? To develop relationships, to impact people with biblical answers to life's challenges. So the develop is intentional. We want friendships, but we want those relationships for more than just being friends. We want to be able to impact them. With what? Well, they all have life challenges, and so we want to point them to what the Scripture says and how to deal with life's challenges. And so um, we've been looking at our measures. How do we know? Once you're saved, you're supposed to serve the Lord, and and so uh, our measures are based on 1 Samuel 3, 4, where Samuel says to the Lord, Here I am, Lord. He presents himself to the Lord and says, Use me. And so we used the name Samuel, and we developed a, a set of six questions. And as you have been answering these questions week by week, you've been telling yourself where you are in the discipleship process, whether you are a mature believer or whether uh, you're an infant or you're somewhere in between. The S stood for spiritual gifts. We talked about that. Um, and the question was, am I using my spiritual gifts? Now, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you're obviously not using it. But even if you do know what it is, that's no guarantee that you are using it. The A stands for abiding. Am I spending time with God daily? Do you pray? Do you read your word every day? Do you meet with God every day? That's, that's abiding. And so your answers to these, again, are telling you where you are spiritually. The M stands for missions. The question is, am I ready to go? And you're like, I don't know until you tell me where you're going. Now, the point is, we sign the paper and we tell God, fill in the details. I'm ready to go wherever you send me. The U stands for understanding. Am I, am I growing in my understanding of core biblical truths? In other words, we believe there are certain things that Scripture teaches that are paramount that you have to believe and embrace, like the inerrancy of Scripture, for instance. And so am I growing in my understanding of the, the things that are fundamental to our faith? The E last week stood for evangelism. Are my friends with someone far from God? If you remember, um, in, our, in our text, Jesus had called Matthew the tax collector to follow him. And what's the first thing Matthew does when he starts following Jesus? He throws a party and invites all of his tax collector friends so that they have an opportunity to meet Jesus as well because they were far from God. Well, today, to finish up the series, the L stands for love. And the question is, am I known by love? And that's what you have to answer. You have to answer the question for yourself, are you known as a person of love? Take your Bible and open it to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we're going to read two verses, and then I'd, keep, I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open because we'll be looking at some other verses in John chapter 13 as well. John 13, verses 34 and 35, I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Jesus is speaking, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. God bless the reading of his word. Go ahead and be seated. Today we're going to talk about Christ-like love. It's not, it's not amorous love where, you know, you got your first sweetheart. It's not how you love your wife or your husband or your children or your parents or your grandparents. It's a Christ-like love. 
And Jesus gives us an example of it in verse 1. Again, if you have your Bible open, look at John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. After, and, and supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This is, a, uh, this is a great example of the love that we'll be talking about today. In the Bible times, everybody wore sandals. And it wasn't like Disney World. They didn't wear socks with their sandals. Okay, They just had sandals, and the, the roads weren't paved. It was dusty, it was dirty. If it had rained, it was muddy. And so their feet would undoubtedly get dirty. Even if it was a hot, dry day, if the, the wind blew the dust, it would get on their feet. And so if you went into a house of anybody who had any means at all, they would have inside the door a basin of water and a stool and you would sit down as the guest and the servant would come and he would wash your feet as a way of, of making you clean so that you could be in the house and, and just a way of serving you. And so Jesus is giving us a great picture here. Um, this is the time when he's instituting the Lord's Supper. They've had the Passover meal. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be crucified. And when they had entered the upper room, there was no evidence scripturally of a servant there to greet them to wash their feet. And what's interesting to me is none of the disciples volunteered. None of the 12 said, you know what? I'll do this. I'll take care of everybody's feet. Here's Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, kneeling and washing the smelly feet of his disciples look at verse 14 if i then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet and so that's the background that's the context so that when he gets to verse 34 and he says a new commandment i give you that you love one another as i have loved you you also love one another so what does it look what does it look like to have this Christ-like love? To love like Jesus, first of all, our love should be a selfless love. If we're going to love like Jesus, it'll be selfless. You know, our world is filled with selfish, self-centered people, isn't it? I mean, we live in an age of entitlement where people think that things should be handed to them without having to work hard for it. Society basically is based on self-love. And yet here's Jesus humbling himself and serving his disciples. Now, I think verse 4 is a picture of what happened when he left, left heaven. Rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. I can imagine when it came time for him to be born, him taking off the robes of glory, leaving the splendor of glory, coming to be born as an infant child, taking on human flesh. He laid all that aside and he came to earth. I think that's a picture of what Paul was saying to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in other words, he was God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That phrase literally means he emptied himself. 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So here he is, sovereign God, and he comes to earth as a slave to humanity. He humbled himself, even to the point of death, the death of a cross. You know, we fight to defend our reputation, don't we? Somebody says something about us or, or about our family, and we will fight to defend our reputation. Many of us like to say we came from nothing, and we made something of ourselves. That may be true, but listen to me, friend. Jesus came from something and made nothing of himself. Now, contrast, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The other Gospels tell us about this as well. In Luke chapter 22, Luke's account, Jesus washes the feet, and right after washing the feet, look at what happens in verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. I mean, here's Jesus humbly washing the feet of the disciples, and how do they respond? They get into an argument over who's the greatest. Just three verses later, Jesus says in verse 27, For, he, or for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is saying, look, if anybody ought to be seated, it's me, and yet I'm the one that's humbling myself enough to wash your feet. When it says he humbled himself, what, what does it mean to humble yourself? What does it mean to have humility? Does that mean that you think bad about yourself? Well, I'm just no good, I'm rotten, nobody like you know, the Eeyore syndrome. Is that what humility is? No, that, that's not humility. That's what I call stinking thinking, okay? That, that's not humility. Jesus, in an act of humility, washed the disciples' feet. I mean, do you think he was thinking... If you think humility is thinking bad about yourself, do you think Jesus was thinking bad about himself when it says he humbled himself? Look at verse 3. Look at what it says. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Listen, there was nothing about Jesus in his humility that he's thinking, man, I'm just, I'm just bad. He knew who he was. So humility is not thinking bad of yourself. Real love is selfless love. Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. See, the grace of God exalts man without inflating him, and then he humbles man without deflating him. Do you understand this morning that each of us are what we are solely by the grace of God? Do you understand that? I mean, everything I am and everything you are, if you're a child of God, is solely by the grace of God. It is. You know, I'm going to give you a definition of grace. It's a definition I've not used before. But I, I, think it, I think it boils grace down into its lowest common denominator. Here's grace. Grace is the fact that God accepts you and he accepts me. That's grace. 
that in spite of who we are, in spite of what we've done, God accepts us. That's grace. You know what faith is? Faith is believing that God accepts us. All right? So we have grace that God accepts us. We have faith in that we believe it. And because of that, in accepting that fact, what should we do? We should accept ourselves. We should accept ourselves. That's peace. See, if I know that God accepts me, and I accept the fact that God accepts me, then I'm going to accept myself. That doesn't mean I'm always going to be happy with who I am or what I'm doing, but I'm going to accept myself. Have you ever accepted you? Let me just be honest with you. Some of you haven't. You have never accepted yourself. You haven't. You haven't dealt, you haven't dealt with the fact that God accepts you. But when you know God accepts you and you believe that God accepts you and you have peace in your heart, you know what that allows you to do? Then you can love other people. You can allow the love of God to flow through you because of the fact you know that God accepts you and, and you have this peace and so now you can love those around you. I don't believe you'll ever do that until you have that peace. Talking about selfless love here, does that mean that you shouldn't love yourself? No, it doesn't. You remember Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he throws a bonus one in. He says, and the second is likened to the first. You shall love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. Now, if you hate yourself, you're going to hate your neighbor. Jesus was implying that we should have a love for self and that we should love our neighbors. We should treat them the way that we would want to be treated. To love like Jesus is selfless love. Secondly, to love like Jesus, we need a steadfast love. Verse 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, here it is, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. That's steadfast love. He never stopped loving them. Now, were they lovable at the time? I mean, think of what's happening. Think of what's going on. He's washed their feet, and they're bickering over who's the greatest. He knows that Judas, in just a few moments, is going to betray him with a kiss. He knows that Peter's going to deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. He knows that all of them, out of fear, are going to forsake him and flee. They were not very lovable at the time. And yet it says he loved them to the end. He just kept on loving them. You ever had somebody bite your head off and then try to excuse it or explain it by saying, well, you know, I'm sorry, but, but if you knew everything I'd been going through, then, then, then you would understand. Well, that, that's not really legitimate because, I mean, if anybody was going through a whole lot of bad stuff, it was Jesus. I mean, he knows what the next few hours hold. And rather than biting the heads off of the disciples, it says he loved them to the end. He continued to love them. To have a Christ-like love is to have a steadfast love that does not give up you you want to know if you're full of love i'm gonna give you a test if you want to know if you're full of love here's the test if you're full what comes what spills out when you're knocked about when life pushes you around what comes out of you if you're full of love it'll be love you'll be able to deal with it through love jesus in his distress and pressure, knowing he's about to be crucified, 
steadfastly loves. I read this week about a man who had a son that was breaking his heart. He had given the son a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. The son had almost bankrupted him because of all of the things that he had to do for him. Um, he had counseled him. He had prayed for him. He had went out of his way to try to accept him. And he was talking to a friend about his son, and his friend said this, well, here's what I'd do if he were my son. And the man stopped him. And he said, but he's not your son. He's my son, and I can't let him go. The father who loved to the end. Jesus' love is steadfast, not because we're lovable, but because of grace. What can separate you from the love of Christ? I mean, what could you do or what could separate you from the love of Christ? We're not left without the answer. The answer is found in Romans chapter 8. For I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus. That's steadfast love. You know, we mess up and the devil says to, to your heart and mind or to my heart and mind, says, you know what, you blew it. There's no way God loves you now. Friend, that is a lie from the pit of hell because his love is steadfast. He loves when we're unlovable. He loves when we don't return love because that's his nature. To love like Jesus, third of all, we need a serving love. A serving love. 1 John 3.18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. John says we shouldn't just love with our, with our speech. We should love with our actions. And that's what Jesus does in verses 4 and 5 when he washes the disciples' feet. See, real love says there is no job that's beneath you. I mean, the disciples, they thought washing feet was beneath them, but real love means there's no job beneath you. We used to have uh, men's work days around the church over in East Tennessee, and, and they, we'd have them on Saturdays, and I, I'd always be one of the first ones to show up. And I remember some men telling me one time, Preacher, you don't have to come to this. You're, you're here Monday through Friday, and you're here on Sunday, and you don't have to come to these. And here's what I told them. I said, I will never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. See, because love means there's no job beneath you. You're willing to serve. You're willing to do whatever needs to be done. Not only was Jesus washing the feet, but whose feet was he washing? Who was in the crowd? Judas. Judas hasn't left yet. Judas is there, and here's Jesus washing the feet of the one he knew would betray him with a kiss. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Some say Jesus practiced what he preached. I think it's better to say that he preached what he practiced. He, he preached what he was already doing. Mark 10, 43 says, Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Real love is not getting what we deserve it's, or giving what's deserved. It's giving what's needed. That's real love. You ever been to a restaurant and received poor service? What'd you do? Did you tip the waitress? If so, how much did you tip her? Let me just remind you that real love is not giving what's deserved, it's giving what's needed. And so even when we have bad service, I want my tip to be one of the largest tips of the day that that waitress receives. Why? Because I don't know what's going on in her life. Obviously, she needs the money or she wouldn't be working for $2 and change an hour plus tips. And so I want to give her not what she deserves based on her service of me and, and my family, but I want to give her what she needs. That's love. That, that, that's the definition of love, giving what is needed, not what is deserved. What did the disciples deserve? <laughs> Certainly not to have their feet washed. But Jesus is doing just that because he knew that they would need that in just a few hours. What if we all had Christ-like love? I mean, what, what if we all were these kind of things? I'll tell you what it would look like. We would never have to ask for nursery workers. We'd have people lining up saying, give me the middle school boys. Um, Dana, Dana would have to turn people down out of the choir because there'd be no room for them in the choir loft. I mean, that's what it would look like if we all had Christ-like love where it was selfless and we were serving one another. Here's the king of glory serving his disciples. One last thing, if Christ, Christ-like love will be a sanctifying love. A sanctifying love. I hope you still have your Bible open. If so, look at verse 6. Then he, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. translation jesus is moving here from the physical he gets up from the physical act of washing the feet and he's moving into the spiritual realm he's taken an object lesson and now he's giving them the application of what it meant for him to wash their feet see he's not talking about physical dirt he's talking about spiritual defilement talking about sin you know, there, there comes a time in our life when we are contaminated by sin and we need to be washed and then, we, and then we continue to get our feet dirty and dusty and grimy. Peter said, listen, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I'm not washing your feet, then you have no part of me. Then you don't understand what I'm doing here, Peter. So Peter says, 
then not just my feet, my hands and my head also. And Jesus says, no, you don't need that. You have already bathed. What you need is your feet washed. When we get saved, the scripture refers to it as being washed. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul has just given the Corinthian church a long list of sins, and he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, when we get saved, we say our sins are washed away, and they are. We have been washed. But let me ask you a question. Anybody here that's a Christian who has never sinned since the day you accepted Christ? Or ask it in a different way. How many here who have sinned since you became a Christian? You know, I've, I've, I've sinned more than I want to admit. And so what happens is, when we sin, we don't need to be washed again. We don't need to be saved again. We've just got some dirt on us. And Jesus needs to wash our feet. Forgive us of that. Did you know nobody in the Bible was ever saved twice? It's not in there. I, I've witnessed to people, and I've, ever, I've asked them, you ever been saved? And I've had people say, oh, I've been saved five times, preacher. <laughs> no, you haven't. You've either been saved once or you've not been saved at all. Because nobody gets saved more than once. Hebrews 10, verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, those who are being made to look like Jesus. So he tells them in verse 14, I've washed your feet, now you wash each other's. Is this an ordinance or a ceremony similar to the Lord's Supper and baptism that Jesus is instituting here? I mean, there are some who believe that. There, there are foot-washing Baptists who, who make it an ordinance to where they believe that you have to do that. I, I don't think it's an ordinance. I, I think there's something else that's happening here. Because in humility, if, it's not humility if it's on display. It's not humility if it's done out in the open for all to see. I think it's a very practical thing, what Jesus is saying. I think we read between the lines, and he says, Peter, it's not going to be long, and you betray me. You deny me. You flee and forsake me. Peter, your feet will be dirty, but I will forgive you. I'll forgive you. Do, do you remember John 21, after the resurrected Jesus he meets the disciples there on the shore. Peter's went back to fishing because he feels useless. He feels like, man, I'm, I'm the lowest of the low because I've, I've sinned so greatly in denying the Lord. And an encounter happens between the resurrected Jesus and Peter. John 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He, Jesus, said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, Simon son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You ever wondered why Jesus asked him three times the same question, do you love me? How many times did he deny the Lord Jesus? 
three times. What's Jesus doing here? He's washing the feet of Peter. He's forgiving him. He's forgiving him. He says, yes, I know you denied me once, twice, three times, but here's the forgiveness. You know, I was saved when I was 17, 40 years ago. And I am so glad that on more occasions than I can count, the Lord Jesus has washed my feet. He's forgiven me. Suppose Jesus were to walk in here with a towel and a basin and he wanted to wash your feet. He called you up and said, hey, come up here. I want to wash your feet. You'd be like Peter. You'd be like, no, no, that's not happening. King of glory, I am not letting you wash my feet. And so Jesus says, well, then you have no part of me. And so reluctantly, like the disciples, like Peter, you would say, okay, I'll, I'll allow you to do that. Well, Jesus is not here physically, but he's here in presence nonetheless because he said when two or three are gathered in my name i'm there in their midst and so he's here what if jesus called you and said hey i want you to wash my feet man you'd, you'd run to the altar if he was seated down front you would come and you would wash his feet unfailingly unflinchingly well he's not here physically and so that's impossible but i want to remind you what he said in matthew 25 Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these you've done it unto me do, do, do you understand do you, do you get what jesus is saying jesus is saying if you love someone you will forgive them Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let me ask you a question today. Do you know somebody who needs their feet washed by you? Do you know somebody who maybe has done something wrong and they need you to grant them forgiveness? That's washing their feet. And if you're Christ-like in your love, you'll do that for them. The church would be a wonderful place if we allowed Jesus to wash our feet, dealing with our sin, and then we washed the feet of others and forgave them as well. Here's what I found an interesting thing. If you're going to wash somebody's feet, unless they're laying flat on the floor, you can't look down at them when you wash their feet. Most of the time, they're going to be seated, and so you can't look down at them. You, you have to look up. When someone sins against us, we often look down at them. We look down on them. And if we'll forgive them, if we'll spiritually wash their feet, we will deal with it. Jesus laid aside his garment. We need to lay aside our pride, our position, and wash the feet spiritually and forgive those around us. Are you known by love? If you are, it'll be selfless. It'll be steadfast. By the grace of God, you will love to the end. It'll be serving. So are you serving one another in the body of Christ? Then it will be sanctifying. You will continually be forgiving those who need it. One night, a husband and wife were talking. The husband looked at his wife and he said, did you ever love anybody before you loved me? Now, that's a dangerous question. That's a loaded question. 
She thought about it for a minute and she said, no, once I, once I respected a man because he had great intelligence. Once I uh, admired a man for his remarkable business skills. I was captivated by another because of his charm and his good looks. But with you, honey, how else could it be explained except love? <laughs> Listen, God is not impressed with our business acumen, our charm, our good looks. He loves us. Nothing could explain it except love. A new commandment I give to you that you should love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray that Eastwood would be a place where we are recognized as your disciples because of our love for one another. Lord, chances are there are some here today who need to have their feet washed by you, need to be forgiven. I pray that they would deal with whatever sin your Spirit has revealed to them. I'm convinced also there are some who need to wash the feet of someone else by forgiving them. God, I pray that we would be obedient to what you ask of us. We respond now to your Spirit's call in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, your sins have never been washed away. But they can be today. If you will confess Him as your Savior and Lord, put your faith and hope and trust in Him, knowing you can't save yourself, He will save you. I'll be here at the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just meet me here at the front and say, Pastor, today I need to trust Jesus. And we'll talk about what that means, and I'll pray with you, and we'll talk about what's the next step in following Him. Some of you already know the Lord, and He's leading you to join the church. This is when that happens. Maybe today the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about love. About your needing your feet washed or needing to wash the feet of somebody else. You can come to the altar and deal with that this morning. Whatever the Spirit says to do as we stand and as we sing, you come.